you ask you to open your Bible with me uh, to Genesis chapter 29. We are continuing our study through the patriarchs of Isaac and Jacob and looking at their lives. Genesis chapter 29 today, we're going to be starting at verse 31. This past Friday, I had the privilege of going with Kylie to her class field trip to Lexington. We went to the Living Arts and Science Center. And while we were there, we studied space and astronauts and the solar system. And we got to learn about uh, the space race of the 1960s, of how the Soviets were the first nation to put a man in orbit, and how President Kennedy made the, the declaration that by the end of the 1960s, the United States would be the first country to put a man on the moon. And for that entire decade, they, they raced one another to see which nation would be able to accomplish that. And, of course, the United States was able to do that in the year 1969, uh, almost to the end of the decade, but President Kennedy's wish came to be. But it wasn't just the space race that the United States and the Soviet Union went through. Of course, during the Cold War, there was the arms race. And the idea was to see which nation could stockpile the most nuclear weapons uh, to be seen as the dominant nation in the world because of the ownership of all these weapons. In the ancient world, there was also an emphasis on weapons and power that it brought. But there was also an emphasis on children, especially sons, that whatever man had the most children or had the most strapping young sons to carry on his family name was to be seen as a man of honor and a man of power. And as we study Jacob's life, we have seen up to this point the, the number of problems that, that Jacob had in his life. Many of these he brought on by his own choices, but one of the things Jacob struggled with greatly was his family life, and we have seen that come about last week, and we see that even more so today in this war of the wombs, we may call it, as Jacob's wives uh, struggled against one another to see which one would bear the most children for their husband. And in this story, we learn uh, a valuable lesson we ought to for ourselves, and as do not rob God of the glory that He alone deserves. Do not rob God of the glory that He alone deserves. You see, He keeps His glory no matter how much we may try to rob it from Him. But the problem lies for us when we try to rob God of His glory. There is a price that we pay in our lives. Let me invite you to stand with me if you're able to this morning. We do this in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading from Genesis 29, starting at verse 31. Moses writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. 
Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in what we have been able to do through this time of worship already today. Father, for the music and the, the singing and the fellowship and through the giving of offerings, the, the, the hearing of, of missionary work around our nation. And Father, we rejoice greatly in what you have done in our service thus far. But now, God, we come to the point of our service where we open the Scripture, God. And, and our expectation, Lord, is that you would open our minds, that, that we may be able to understand your Word better. And, God, you would open our hearts that we may embrace it as truth, that it may impact the way that we think and the way that we see and the, and the way that we live, the way that we love. Father, set our affection on your Son, Christ Jesus. Let us glory in Him. In Him alone. Father, forgive us for the attempts we make to rob You of Your glory and the pain that we bring upon ourselves in doing so. Father, convict us and show us the right way to honor and glorify You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been studying these patriarchs over the last several weeks, we have seen that God gave this covenant promise to Abraham that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations, that, that Abraham was going to be the source of God's blessing to the earth. And we see in the New Testament, ultimately, that was God's promise to send a Messiah, a deliverer, and that is Christ Jesus through the lineage of Abraham. Abraham then has a son, Isaac, who receives this promise. He is the heir of God's covenant blessings. And then Isaac bestows this covenant promise upon his son, Jacob. And we have seen that come to pass. And so Jacob at this point in life has, has received this promise from his father Isaac and, and has heard directly from God himself. But spiritually, Isaac, or spiritually Jacob was not where he needed to be. We've looked at the fact that he was a, a deceitful, scheming uh, little snot, to say, the, say it to, uh, properly, and he had robbed his brother of the blessing, and he had lied, deceived his father, and yet God's covenant promise remained on him. And it's a blessing for us that, that no matter how much we may sin, God never gives up on us, and we cause all kinds of problems when we sin, all sorts of consequences, but God's covenant blessing remains. And then Jacob finally meets his match, in, in stingy, cunning Uncle Laban. And as Jacob works seven years to marry Rachel, Laban deceives him and on the wedding night instead swaps out Rachel's older sister, less attractive sister, Leah. And Jacob ends up marrying Leah instead. And then Laban says, well, promise me you'll work another seven years and I'll go ahead and let you marry Rachel now. And so Jacob did that. And so he is laboring for 14 years for his uncle. And he has two wives now against God's design for marriage. And he has two maids in this situation. And then we come to our text today and we see these pitfalls. 
We mentioned Jacob was not where he needed to be spiritually, neither was Leah, and neither was Rachel. They were trying to rob God of his glory. Now, they may not say it that way, but that's what they were doing. And we are guilty of the same thing. We might say, well, I'm not in a war of the womb, so to speak. How do I rob God of his glory? Well, through these pitfalls that lie before our lie before our men and women here today, but also lie before us. The first pitfall is that of insecurity. Beware the pitfall of insecurity. Leah's self-worth was tied up in Jacob and not in God. And that is a problem. We see, first of all, the cry of affliction in verse 31. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Here's Jacob. He's got two two wives and he loves the one Rachel, doesn't love Leah. God sees Leah's plight. He, he hears her cries. And in the midst of this terrible situation of this wife who is unloved by her husband, God moves. And he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. You see, sometimes in the middle of our affliction, as we cry out to God, God sees and God hears and God moves in mighty waves but then we see the cry for affection that follows in verse 32 and following Leah she recognizes God's blessings and indeed God provides through her four sons for Jacob but yet she was unsatisfied with God's loving provision she was more concerned with her husband's approval of her than she was of God Verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son, named him Reuben. She said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Instead of thinking how much God loves me, how much God has answered my prayers, and God has moved in a mighty way and given me this child, her concern was still for her husband's affection. Nothing wrong with desiring the affection of your spouse. But the problem is she was seeing her own self-worth through Jacob's response to her. Gave more thought to what Jacob saw in her than what God did. Surely now my husband will love me, she said. Verse 33, because the Lord has heard me that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. She conceived again, verse 34, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. And time and time again, her view of herself and her, her importance, her value, was not seen in the fact that God loved her. She was more concerned with what Jacob saw in her. The pitfall of insecurity. Now, I want you to think back in your own life over some of the stupid decisions that you have made things you have done, maybe things you should have done but you didn't, how many of those stupid decisions that you and I have made in our lives were based on the fact we were trying to win someone else's approval? We wanted someone else to like us. I wanted someone else to think more highly of me, therefore I did this. And it was stupid. Our significance ought not to be tied into other people. Our significance and our value and our worth ought to be seen from God Almighty Himself. 
that God created us in His image, that God loved us so much, He sent His Son to die on the cross. If God loved us in that degree, Paul says in Romans 8, how will He not give us much more in Jesus? Now think back in your life and think about how differently things would have been if instead of trying to impress somebody else, you would have said, I am just going to try to impress God. The pitfall of insecurity tempts us to rob God of His glory. The second pitfall we see in our story is the pitfall of idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything more than God. Giving our hearts and our time and our energy and our thoughts more to anything else other than God. Now, I know that sounds stupid because sin is stupid. It's illogical. Why would we value anything or anyone else more than we do God? But we're tempted to do that because of this sin nature that we have deep inside each of our hearts. We see this taking place in our story, first of all, through the sibling comparison. Chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel, she's jealous of her sister. She sees that her sister has given Jacob four sons now, and she's not been able to conceive at all. And she begins to look at her sister, compare herself to her sister, and say, I've got to somehow outdo her. Because I may lose my husband's affection. And in that culture, as I said at the beginning, her status. That through the eyes of society, she would be seen as somehow inferior to her sister who is fertile and she is not. And so in this comparison, in this feared loss of of her husband's uh, uh, approval and a feared loss of status, she, she challenges Jacob and she says, Give me children or else I die. Now we see right away that's a a very irrational statement. Give me children. She is blaming Jacob for this. And her irrationality is met with insensitivity. Jacob's response in verse 2, his anger burned against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And I guess that's where they get the name for the uh, underwear company there. Instead of fruit of the womb, the fruit of the loom. But Jacob, she's blaming Jacob. What does Jacob do? He blames God. Am I in the place of God that I can give you children? It's not my fault God has not given you children. So instead of coming to his wife and saying, Honey, I know you're distraught. I know, uh, I know your emotions have got the best of you, but it's okay. Here's what we need to do. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to believe in the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God. If he has not given you children, it must be for a reason. And we may not see that reason. We may not accept it. For, but for now, here's what we need to do, honey. We need to pray to the Lord. We need to ask God to provide you with, with children. And we're just going to wait upon the Lord. That, that should have been his response. But instead, he gets angry at her, insensitive towards her, and insensitive towards God as well. And sadly, her words in verse 1, give me children or else... I die are very foreboding as we see the story of Rachel unfold 
in the next few chapters. The sibling comparison is followed up then by a sordid contest. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And again, what should have taken place here, Rachel should have gone to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, I pray that you would please allow me to conceive and, and to give my husband a child. Desperate times, desperate measures. Prayer? Nope. Instead of what happens next, the decision is made to use their maids as surrogates. Rachel says, if I can't give you children, then here, here's my maid. Have children with her, and those children will be considered legally as mine. And so she revisits the same failed practice, the same failed strategy that Abraham's wife Sarah did when she was unable to conceive and gave Abraham her maid, Hagar. That did not work out well for Abraham at all. But yet here is Rachel desperate. Instead of turning to God, she is turning to earthly measures to try to accomplish her goal. And this idolatry is fueling her actions. She said, here's my maid, Bilhah, verse 3. Go into her, she may bear on my knees, that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid. And as a wife, Jacob went into her, and she conceived, bore Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has vindicated me, and indeed he has heard my voice. He has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's maid conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. So now six sons for Jacob. Verse 9, Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, and so she took her maid and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore him a, a son, and Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad, and Leah's maid bore a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. So now Jacob is up to eight sons. But most of these have come through means that idolatrous men and women have chosen rather than trusting in God to bring about God's plan and God's timing. And this dysfunctional family just keeps spiraling deeper and deeper away from God. John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. If you stop and think about that, our sin nature we, we are designed, we are created to worship someone, and that someone is God. But our hearts are so twisted that we latch on to other things and try to worship other things and other peoples. Nothing wrong with desiring a husband's affection. Nothing wrong with desiring children. Nothing wrong with desiring possessions and comforts and a good name in society and culture. Nothing wrong with desiring these things. These are good things. But the problem is good things become bad things when we make them God things. We try to substitute anything or anyone else in the place of God and God alone. That's idolatry. That is sin. That is robbing God of the glory He deserves. 
focusing on anything or anyone else and giving them first place in our hearts. That is what these individuals in our story have done so far. Yet in the midst of that, here is Jacob, now with eight sons. But the next pitfall comes in the form of immorality. Immorality. When we begin to conceive idols in our hearts and begin to worship them, this idolatry leads us to act in ways that are not moral, ways that are contradictory to the revealed will of God. And that's what takes place in our story. The first thing we see in verse 14 is a superstitious activity. It says, Now in the days of the wheat harvest, now this was a time of celebration. This was a time to recognize that as we are harvesting this wheat, that God has blessed us. He's provided us with this crop. And we are, we are reaping this, we are harvesting this, and we are celebrating God's goodness towards us. In a time that was meant to be a worship of God in heaven, something superstitious takes place. It says, In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben, which is the oldest son, Leah's child, he went and he found mandrakes in the field. Mandrakes, we are told, are, are, are a plant that's native uh, to that area. And as these plants grow, they have uh, two roots that as you pull the plant out, these two roots almost look like two human legs. And these plants in certain seasons produce these little fruits. And the superstition is that anyone who eats of these fruits, because the roots are shaped like legs, that eating this fruit somehow provided a, a magical way for people to conceive. That if you ate from these mandrakes, if you were barren, eating of these mandrakes would make you fertile. That was the superstition of that time. And Reuben goes out in the field and brings some of these mandrakes in. He brings them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Her thought was, if I'm not able to conceive myself, then maybe if I eat some of these fruits that, that earn the name love apples, maybe if I eat some of these love apples from these mandrakes, then maybe, just maybe, I'll bear a child for Jacob. And she said to her sister, give me some of those mandrakes. But then we see next a scandalous activity in verse 15. But she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, Therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. She just pimped her husband out to get some of these love apples. In verse 16, Jacob came in from the field in the evening, and then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. This has become literally an episode of All My Children. In this war of the wounds for these two women to try to have more children than the other, they have resorted to some very sordid activities here. But you know what? In the midst of this shameful activity of these two women, let's not lose sight of the fact of Jacob's role in all of this. Because as Rachel said, I can't have children, so here, go sleep with my maid. Have children through her. And then Leah, not to be outdone, to here, have my maid go sleep with her. And then Jacob comes in from the field and his wife says, I've hired you 
through giving some mandrakes, you're supposed to come in and lay with me tonight. And then Jacob says, okay. He's just going along with all this. At some point in time, you think he should have said, okay, now time out, ladies. I know I'm all that in a bag of chips. Remember, I was the guy who single-handedly rolled that stone away, you know. I know I'm a buff dude and all, but time out. This, this ain't right, okay? Let's, let's slow down here. We're, we're using some very unscrupulous means to try to bring about God's promise. Why don't we just stop and let God work and rejoice in His timing? But no, Jacob was... He was too impatient himself. Jacob was more concerned about his own well-being... to the point where he was willing to sacrifice holiness to try to bring about God's promise. And this scandalous activity of these women and Jacob too are followed up with the sovereign activity of God. You see, God blesses with more children. However, He does not bless the woman who bought the mandrakes by giving up her husband for the night. It wasn't the woman who ate the mandrakes who conceived. It was the other one. And God's sense of humor, he said, okay, you're going to resort to superstition. That's not going to work, but my sovereign hand is going to bless the other sister in this. The love apples didn't work. How about them love apples? God gave heed to Leah, verse 17, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Jacob said, God, or Aaliyah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. Somehow she's thinking that because I did this, God blessed me. So backwards. She named him Issachar. In verse 19, she conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. She named him Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. And so now here is Jacob with ten sons total and one daughter. But all of this coming in a very ungodly way. You know, I'm amazed by a couple of things in this scripture here as you read this. First of all, I'm struck by how simple child-rearing sounds. She conceived and bore a son. Then she conceived and bore another son. Then she conceived and bore. It's almost like, you know, it's just like one after the other. Just you want a son? Boom, there you go. You have a son. You know, there's, it just seems so simplistic, doesn't it? For those of you who've ever been through child rearing and pregnancy and, and birth, you, you understand it's not quite that simple. But you know, other, other places in the Bible speaks of birth in very simplistic terms. It's the birth of sin. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says that we, each and every one of us are tempted when we are carried away by our own lusts, our own sinful desires in our hearts, our own plans to rob God of His glory. We're all tempted. We're carried away by our own lusts, and our lust conceives 
and we have sin. We bear sin. And then it said sin brings forth death. And so temptation comes along and finds in our hearts a desire for things other than God and the ways of God. And that temptation latches on to our sin nature, leading us to commit sin in our actions. And the wages of that sin is death. That's bad news, folks. That's each and every one of us. We are tempted to do things we shouldn't because there is something in our heart that is twisted and sin latches on to that, leads us to commit these acts contrary to God's will that lead to our sin, that leads to our destruction. It's bad news for us, but the good news is that God loves us in spite of our sin and God has provided a way We've been focusing on the birth of sons as an attempt to bring about a desired end. It is the birth of one son, God's son, that frees us from these pitfalls that we fall into of insecurity and idolatry and immorality. It is God who loves us and God who seeks to rescue us, which leads us to our final pitfall of insensitivity. The danger of being spiritually unaware that there is a God in heaven and this God has moved in such a mighty way in such a loving way that he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. And I must recognize this gift of God and accept this free gift, surrender my life and lay down my life and my desires and my goals and my ambitions, die to self, pick up my cross daily and follow him. He is deserving of my worship. But this insensitivity in our hearts blinds us to what God is doing and has done for us. We see, first of all, God's loving grace in this story. Verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel. It was interesting that he saw Leah in verse 31 because she was unloved. And now he remembers Rachel who has been humbled by everything that has taken place. Every plan she has made has backfired on her. She has no other recourse. She's at the end of her rope, and then God remembered her. And in His grace, we read in verse 22, God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her, and God opened her womb. It wasn't the love apples. It wasn't this design that she had for her maid to have children for her. God did this. It was an act of supernatural power. And then in verse 23, she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She recognized Joseph as a gift from God. You see, she has suffered because of her sin along the way. And everyone in that story, because of sinful consequences, but yet in the midst of sinful consequences, there remains a sovereign covenant that God chose Jacob not because Jacob was a swell guy because we've seen just the opposite but God chose him as a display of how far his grace would go and how faithful he would be to one who tried to rob him of his own glory God's faithfulness remained and now here is Jacob with 11 sons and a daughter 
because God had promised him he would become a great company of peoples. God was faithful. God's loving grace. Then we see our lack of gratitude. Verse 24, she named him Joseph saying, May the Lord give me another son. Are you kidding me? God finally moved in a supernatural way in your life and God in His grace has provided you something you did not deserve and now you're not satisfied with that. You want something else, something more. It's a lack of gratitude. In our lives, we can become so insensitive to what God has done for us already, we desire God to do something even more instead of, instead of desiring Him above all things else. Our, our idolatry tempts us to crave more and more and more to the point that we try to rob God of His glory. All the while failing to remember that God sent His only begotten Son Whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there anything else we need more than God? Is there anything else we need more than His gospel? Of course not. But for some reason, our hearts are not satisfied with the things of God that we pursue, the things of earth. So do not rob God of the glory that He alone deserves. What effect does that have on God? absolutely nothing you can try to rob God of his glory but guess what he's not going to give it up robbing God of his glory does not do anything to God but what does it do to you what effect does it have on you when you try to take something that belongs to God and God alone I saw a video on Facebook this week I don't know if y'all seen this or not where there's a car that pulls up in front of a house and there's a security camera on this car and guy gets out of the car and goes across the street to where some construction's taking place. This guy driving this car decides he's going to steal these carpenter's tools. You don't do that to a carpenter, do you, Josh? <laughs> you don't do that to a contractor. You don't take a man's tools that are the, sport, the source of his livelihood. So this camera is panned on this guy. He runs over in this yard, grabs a bunch of tools, runs back to his car. Suddenly, some guys from behind the house come running after him. So this guy gets in his car and starts to drive off, and one of the contractors leaps up onto the hood of the car while the car is driving, and it's going down the road, and this guy's hanging on to the hood of the car. You're trying to take something that belongs to me. I ain't going to give it up without a fight. Then the other guys get in a truck, and they chase off after him. And just a few seconds later, the car comes back the other way down the road. The guy's still hanging on the hood. And the truck in hot pursuit right behind it. And the truck literally runs into the back of that car and spins it around and crashes it. And I'm just thinking, how much those guys were jealous and zealous for their tools and how much that thief trying to steal what belonged to them angered them and brought about their wrath and their jealousy to the point that they were willing to go that far to risk their own lives because you were not going to take something that belonged to them and I think about when we try to rob God of his glory we don't succeed all we do is get ourselves in a whole heap of trouble and end up getting crashed and burned in this thing we call life. And if we're not careful, 
crashing and burning for all eternity because we're insensitive to the fact that God loves us and sent His Son to die for our sins. As we see this passage today, there's one hero. It sure ain't Jacob, and it ain't, it ain't Rachel, it ain't Leah. Because they have tried every human way possible to rob God of His glory. Human rivalry and idolatry was at work, but so too was God. Above and beyond and behind the scenes, God was fulfilling His promise that He made to Abraham, that He made to Isaac, that He made to Jacob. God was still doing what God desired to do. Here is Jacob, 11 sons and a daughter, even though he had sinned against God. Sinful consequences, a lot of pain and sorrow in the household. But there was a sovereign covenant, and that covenant remained. The good news for you and I is this. God loves the lost, which was Jacob, who was not even looking for God, and God showed up and said, Young man, you are the heir to my promise. God loves the lost. He loves the lonely. That was Leah desiring her husband's affection even more than she desired God, but God loved Leah. And the lowly, Rachel, at the end of her rope, nowhere else to turn, and God loved that woman. Where are you in that scenario? Are you lost? God loves you. Are you lonely today? God loves you. Are you lowly and humbled by the circumstances of your life? God loves you. And God receives the glory when we return that love to God. A refusal to love God and surrender to Him and His gospel is an attempt on your behalf to rob God of the glory that He alone deserves. Let's pray together.